When I was with you on a Sunday last, I talked about what do you see as being a life-changing question. And we, um, we talked about chickens and eagles. And Sarah held her head in her hands when I told her that I did my best to impersonate a chicken. <laughs> she wasn't here to stop me. <laughs> um, today, I'm going to focus on another life-changing question, which is what do you say when? What do you say um, there's another life-changing question, what do you do? But I've skipped that today because time doesn't allow me to dive into that. So we can do that another time maybe. But what do you say? I want to talk to you today about the power of your words. And once again, I'm going to have to navigate some ditches. Because you, if you've lived long enough, you've heard a lot of people talk about this, the power of confession, right? So um, I'm unlikely to, well, I might say something you've not heard before if you've lived long enough, but, but I've got to navigate some ditches because there was, there was a time, and maybe there still is in some places, where you can, you know, the, the power of confession was you can have whatever you say. So as, as if somehow there's a slot machine and it's just about putting the right words in and out pops your Kit Kat or, or your Ferrari or whatever else you want. And just, and that's clearly just not true. That's a ditch. You fall into that ditch and you can spend a long time waiting for your Ferrari or your Kit Kat to arrive. Um, but on the other side of that road is another ditch, which is, doesn't matter what I say. And I guess today I want to try and help you to navigate away from either of those ditches onto the truth the road called truth, which is actually much wider than I used to think it was. Um, but staying on that road means that I don't believe that my words suddenly are abracadabra and I can have whatever I want because I've said it. But I'm also not frivolous with my words and unaware of the power that what I say has and the effect it can have, not just on me and my life, but the lives of those around us. And in doing all of that, what I'm hoping to do is equip you. Uh, yesterday I talked about that idea of the prophetic ministry coming to strengthen. Today I'm perhaps talking about what it means to equip. That word equip in the Greek, it kind of is used to describe when you fit out a ship. So equipping people. It's a bit like fitting out a ship for a voyage. And so today I'm just going to hopefully contribute to your journey by equipping you in this area of raising your awareness of how powerful our words can be and how we might use them to shape our world, shape our life, and shape the lives of those around them. Proverbs 18.21, let's get that verse out of the way, says that there is the power of life, and death in the tongue. Okay, so it's a very biblical idea that we're going to talk about, notwithstanding there are some ditches. Yeah? If I was to try and link the power of what you see to what you say, then I would take you to a story that Dan referenced when he spoke to you a few weeks ago. And if you weren't there on Sunday when I was speaking, one of the things I said then, and I'll say it again now, is if you haven't listened to all of the talks that have been delivered, and I call them talks because that's vine life speak, preaches or teaches, whatever you call them, any words that have been brought on a Sunday, go back and listen to them. 
they're incredibly rich and valuable and I've enjoyed listening to them and I've mined them for truth and revelation. But when Dan spoke, he referenced the story from Numbers 13. I think I'm right, Andy. Was it, was it you? I think it was. You talked about the spies. And um, the interesting thing about that story, as you know, is they, they're about to go into the promised land. They send in some spies. They call them spies, but they, you know, they're scouts, reports. And these folks go in to the promised land, including Joshua and Caleb. And they come back. They come back with a perspective. What did you see? But that perspective, what you see, translated into what are you now going to say? So that story powerfully links two life-changing questions. What do you see and then what do you say? Because they all saw the same thing, but they chose to say something very different, obviously. The ten of the twelve, basically their report was, this is what we see and we can't. Their report was, we can't. Whereas Joshua and Caleb, complete opposite report, what they chose to say was, we can. And you get into this kind of very early form of pantomime. Oh no, we can't. Oh yes, we can. Oh, you're, so, you're great. That's why I love you. You just join in with me. Um, but the power of we can't prevailed. The report of the ten prevailed and caused a whole people group to go on a 40-year diversion. The power of words in this story, it wasn't so much what they saw, but what they choose to say about what they saw was massively important to them. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you turn to James chapter 3, I, I am going to read some scripture today because I do want to, having talked about ditches, I do want to kind of help us to understand the Bible has a lot to say about what we see. And James is a very powerful passage in chapter 3 that talks about the tongue. And I'm just going to read it, and as I go, just comment a little bit on it as part of this equipping journey. James chapter 3 verse 1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Whoa. Stop right there. And able to keep their whole body in check. So basically, James is saying, we all stumble. But if we were able to control what we say, then we would be perfect in every way. So one of the ways in which our imperfection shows up, is what James is saying, is in that we often don't get it right when it comes to what we say. So there's a, there's a, healthy, there's a healthy point here, which is perfection is not our goal, but progress is. Progress is. So what adjustments might you and I make today as a result of what we hear to what we say or how we say it? And I don't want to kind of create any kind of sense of like unhealthy fear about that. But it's the challenge to us all to say, if we were able to control what we say, we would be perfect. Wow, there's an interesting line of discovery there. Then James does some really helpful things, because he then starts to give us some analogies, which are useful ones, aren't they? When we put bits 
into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Let me just pause there. James is thinking about the tongue as a the, the organ that we used to speak, and he's saying it's like the bit in the mouth of a horse. It can, you can use it to set direction. <coughs> Sarah and I use this phrase often. We have spent our entire life talking ourselves into our future. So I'll give you an example of that. Back in 20, I lose track of time, it goes so fast and the older you get, the faster it goes. 2018, 2017. The end of 2016, Sarah and I started a conversation about the fact that I needed to give up my job. And as soon as we started that conversation, there was only one thing going to happen. I was going to end up giving up my job. Took three months. But, Sarah and I have lived this way. We have carved our future out by our conversation. And once we started a conversation about this thing has got to go, I knew that, I thought, oh no, oh no. Do you know what? I know what's going to happen now. I'm going to have to give up my job. How on earth is that going to work? Um, So we start this process by a conversation. And the point here is that James goes on to talk about this idea of a ship, right? And he says, now I'm not talking about the bit in the horse's mouth anymore. I'm talking about the rudder. And he contrasts, there's a dualism here between the ship that is tossed around by the wind, but is actually steered by a rudder. Life sometimes feels like we're in a big storm, right? We're at the mercy of the wind and the waves. But the contrast that James is giving us is, but you don't have to be steered by them. They might bounce you around, but you don't have to be steered by the wind and the waves because the ship is directed by a rudder. And in this case, James is saying, the rudder of your life can be what you choose to say. So I don't know about you, but I've been buffeted around a lot in my life. (laughs) Flipping heck. (laughs) The wind and the waves may still know his name, but they definitely know my name too. (laughs) Right? And uh, and you and you feel like, am I steering or am I hanging on for dear life? There is sometimes a very fine line, right? James is saying here that one of the ways that we can navigate is being really intentional about what we choose to say. We might get to it a bit later on, but in Mark 4, and it's in the other Gospels too, there's this brilliant story about Jesus has taken a pillow onto a boat and gone asleep in the back. <laughs> Come on, boys, we're going to the other side. Next minute, big storm. The disciples' confession in the middle of this storm is, we are going to die. (laughs) Where is he? He's asleep in the back of the boat. We're going to go wake him up, right? So what are they, what's coming out of their mouths? We're going to die. I've been there. I'm going to (laughs) die. I'm dying. It's, I'm done. Um, I think we've all got a we've all got a degree in catastrophizing, haven't we? Now I didn't even know that was a word. 
But I think I suddenly kind of embraced this idea of the wind and the waves crow up. And my confession, I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. When I had, um, I was challenged about this, so I'll get this right. When I had a breakdown, I remember distinctly standing in my bedroom. When I, I was too frightened to leave it at that point. Grabbing hold of Sarah and holding it by the shoulders like this and saying, Sarah, I don't think I'm ever going to work again. Tell me it's going to be okay. The wind and the waves had knocked me right off my feet. And I was with the disciples now. I'm going to die. But Sarah has been a brilliant partner to me because she has known sometimes when just to let that go over her shoulder and dodge it. And when she's needed to go, don't say that. <laughs> she's from Yorkshire, right? So, um, And she looked straight into my eyes and she said, it's going to be okay. She wasn't going to dodge that question and leave it hanging. She was going to take out what I just said and replace it. The power of life and death is in the tongue. In that moment, she put an Exocet missile, which isn't, you know, these are old, it's old school now, but it's a missile that takes out another missile, right? She sat with a, and she's going to take out that I'm never going to work again thing. And she's going to replace it with a word that says, it's not always going to be this way. It's called hope. It was a rudder that I embraced and clung on to. Sarah said it's going to be okay. I trust her. I didn't trust myself at that point. But I trusted her. And I hang on to it. And whilst I got tossed and blown around by the winds and the waves of depression and anxiety and insomnia and all the rest of it, I hang on to that thought. It's going to be okay. And so it was. I was putting into practice this idea that it's not, I'm not at the wind, mercy of the winds and the waves. I have the ability to direct the course of my life by speaking the right things and saying the right things. Wow. Likewise, the tang, verse 5, is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tang also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. James is brilliant, isn't he? It's like, you know, it's like, could you just dress it up a little bit? Do you know, you could just polish it a bit? Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh my gosh, it's graphic, isn't it? Um, but what we say can start a fire, is what he's saying here. So he's changed the analogy now, right? It's like, Whew. Now, I'm going to just play with this a little bit because I think in James's mind, it certainly feels to me like the, the implication of this analogy is negative. Yeah? So, fear can spread like wildfire. Hopelessness can spread like wildfire. How does it spread? It spreads by the words that we choose to speak. And the words that we choose to hear. So one of the things that we 
challenge ourselves to do really well is in crisis to be very intentional about what we choose to say and what we choose to hear because those words are containers. Words are containers. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. It's not just the letter of the word. It's the con- what it contains. And words can be, can, can, can be hope-filled or they can be hopeless. They can be fearful or they be, can be faithful. Volumetric term for, it's filled with faith. This analogy of what James is saying is like, I might just have a very small mouth with a tongue in it, but actually I can start a really large fire, which could be good or bad. Because of course it can be fire, if you think of a passion, right? It can be a good thing. It's not necessarily negative things. I know that's not necessarily what James is saying, but I'm using it in practical terms to say, again, what kind of fire do I want to create around me? What kind of culture do I want to create around me? One that's filled with hope or filled with hopelessness and fear? Well, I want to steward a culture around me that is filled with hope. I think it was Chris Vallotton who first said, the one person with the most hope has the most influence. So I want to be influential, therefore I want to be hopeful. One of the ways in which I communicate that is to seed the environment around me with hope-filled words. Most of us who go into a workplace, especially on a Monday morning, <coughs> yeah, will we'll step into an atmosphere that is probably the complete opposite of the one we just enjoyed 24 hours ago, Sunday morning. Right? Why? Because there's a group of people who have chartered together on Sunday morning to create an environment that is filled with hope. It's filled with him. But it's, and, and in that process, we're kind of, we're checking in with each other. And what we're doing is we're spreading hope through this community. Which is why when you're not there, you can miss out. It's not just about like seeing people. It's about what is that culture stewarding? And if I step into that culture, the critical momentum of that culture, in, which in terms of hope, is now kind of washing all over me. It's one of the reasons why we do feel like, oh, I missed it today. I didn't go today. I'm sad about that. I'm, I'm not saying you all, we always have to be there all the time. What I'm saying is that there's a real... There's a, there's a, it makes a difference. But stepping into Monday morning, mm, 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 it's Monday, it's raining, don't like my job, don't like life, don't like... And you're stepping into a very different culture, aren't you? And then you've got a choice to make about, yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? I mean, Alison and I have now joined in with this, uh, we're all singing off the same hymn sheet, it's just not Christ alone, it's kind of like, I'm, like, I'm not happy, or whatever the song is. Um, and the next minute, you've got an office of people who just don't feel very good about themselves or feel very happy. Why? Because they've talked themselves into something. Completely subconsciously without realizing that's what they've done. And yet, you could, as, as a steward of your own culture, walk into that environment and say, I'm going to, I've done this loads of times. You can be, just be like, just do it on purpose, right? Be really intentional about, I'm just going to change the atmosphere in this room. How would you do that? By sowing a very different kind of seed into that room it's brilliant it's fun my girls play this trick on me all the time and I always don't know it's happening <clears throat> but when they're, when they're with me they come and visit they have this game where they try and get me to sing a song <coughs> which one of us can get dad to sing the song fastest 
because I sing all the time. I just, whatever I hear, I start singing, you see. So they played this game where I'm singing this song. I don't even realize why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because one of them has put it into my ears and now it's coming out of my mouth. Does that, does anybody else have that kid, like mischievous kids like that? And they do it all the time. I don't realize they're doing it. It's so annoying. <laughs> They come in to visit. I think I'm ready for you now, right? I'm not going to say anything. And um, see, because what we goes in, and that's one of the beautiful ways in which you can play with culture and change it. It's brilliant. And then finally in this chapter, because I definitely need to get moving, um, join myself far too much. In verse 9, he, James has another dualism here, another kind of contrast. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. I'll pause there for the sake of time. What James is saying is, you know, we can go, cornerstone. Five minutes later, <laughs> and he's just kind of highlighting the kind of, if you like, the, the hypocrisy of that or the dualism of that. And he's encouraging us not just to sing great things to God, but say great things to one another. Yeah. And, um, and that's just about growing up in maturity. Who would you say is the person that you talk to the most? Who said that? Great answer. Because it's true. <laughs> How many words a day... <laughs> would you say the average human being says in a day? Mm. Well, if you're a woman... <laughs> so, it was Brexit yesterday and BMWs last time. Now it's going to be like, I'm going to get into real trouble now. Well, I'm only telling you what the statistics say. Right, and as the father of three daughters, so twenty thousand is what the experts say is the average word count for a woman on a daily basis. Any idea what it is for a man? <laughs> this is getting into difficulty now. So, again, right? Don't 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 shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger, right? These are experts. They must know what they're talking about. It's 7,000. Right? The men were making a bid for like ridiculously low numbers over here, just to say, right? Now, I, everything you have to take, right? You have to be just handled with care, right? Because there are statistics and statistics and then there are lies, right? Um, I kind of feel from my experience that that kind of feels close, on my experience. But there are also introverted women and extroverted men. So I can't imagine that it's totally driven by, by gender. Yeah? But how many words do you think you say to yourself? Right. We haven't got along, so I'll have to just rush you. For, but anyway, it's really hard to say, isn't it? But the research suggests that you are capable of speaking up to 4,000 words a minute. Wow. 
Because self-talk doesn't have to be constructed as a sentence. It can just be a word or a thought. It's like, whoa. So you are the person that you talk to the most. And it's also, research suggests, and I think this is true for my experience anyway, is most of that's silent until you're under stress. And actually, when you start to get stressed, self-talk starts to become spoken. You literally start talking to yourself because you've chosen to do so because something, some situation has arisen or whatever. I talk to myself all the time, quite honestly. It's a bad thing. The woman who had the hemorrhage, the issue of blood, the Bible says she kept saying to herself, if I can just but touch the hem of his... Her self-talk was propelling her towards Jesus for a miracle. I don't need to say more than that. I don't want to build a theology around that, but something about what she was saying to herself was propelling her towards him and and towards a miracle. So self-talk is... There's a whole bunch of stuff, by the way, the psychologists you know, amongst you, more qualified than me and people who... Self-talk is massive. It's a big deal. Being Raising our level of awareness of the conversation that we have with ourselves is vitally important to our mental health. Because we can end up feeling a certain way and have no idea why we feel that way. And the reason we feel that way is because we've just had a conversation with ourselves. And it wasn't a good one. Wow. Bit of research. But the body has a voice. The corporate body, I mean. The church has a voice. And this is one of my favorites. If you go into Genesis chapter 11, and just flick there, for, if you, just for sake of time, I won't let's read it out. But when you, when you get to Genesis 11, you get the story of the Tower of Babel. And it's one of the most extraordinary stories that's always captured my imagination because um, these folks have decided they were going to build a tower to God. It's ambitious, isn't it? Just come back from Dubai and went up the Burj Khalifa, tallest building in the world, got to floor 174 or something, and I was still about, I don't know how many floors, no, 124, and I was still about 60 floors short at the top. But I thought the idea that you can build a tower to God is fascinating to me. Like, how high do you have to go before you reach him? I don't know. But the story of the Tower of Babel is interesting because, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it, but it's in Genesis 11. It says that basically the Lord goes to visit them. And his observation of them, his report is, this people are all speaking the same language. They're all saying the same thing. And as a result, this is what the Lord says, nothing that they want to do will be impossible to them. Wow, that's like that, I remember decades ago that struck me as like incredible. It's the power of getting a group of people to agree and to say the same thing. Nemo knew this trick. If you've ever seen the film Finding Nemo, it's brilliant. All those tuna fish stuck in the net at the end, going to be turned into into tinned tuna. And Nemo suddenly realizes, you guys all need to swim down. Because if you all decide to go in the same direction at the same time, you can break this net. So he starts going, swim down, 
If you've not seen it, great film. Swim down, swim down, swim down, swim down. And it's like, it's like, shh, Nemo, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. It's a crisis. No, no, no. What's Nemo doing? He's getting them to align their confession. Because he knows that if they say the same thing, eventually that will cause them to actually do the same thing. What's wow, powerful? I've showed this at business and management training days, this Nemo clip. Get some strange looks, but they get it. Because he goes, swim down, swim down. All of a sudden, the tuna fish are all saying, swim down, swim down, swim down, swim down, swim down. And all of a sudden, swim down. I think we better swim down. So next minute, all these tuna fish are swimming down, and very happy ending, because the net bursts, and all the tuna fish get to live another day. Um, One of the most powerful things you can do as a community is agree what it is you're saying. What are we saying? That's why I love strategy at some level, because it puts the same words into our mouths. It sort of says, what, who are we and what are we about? We are loved into life, and we are living in love. Is that right? Excellent, I got that right, without any rehearsal. Um, this power in agreement over who we are and why we are here, and we say the same thing, and then it starts to align us beautifully to what we're about Alignment is better than how, how we're aligned is much more important than how we're organized. But alignment is only relevant once we're connected. Becoming, belonging, and then aligning ourselves behind what it is we are saying is one of the most powerful things we can do as a corp. Which is why, of course, the Lord confused them. He thought, nothing they want to do is impossible because they're all saying the same thing. There's a unity here. I need to disrupt it. So when they all end up speaking different languages. So he, he decided to undo that by confusing their language. Carol, my hygienist, is not my favorite person in the world. Every six months I go and she gives me a lecture on why I'm not cleaning my teeth properly. Bless her. And then charges me an extortionate amount of money for cleaning them properly. The time before last I went, I said, Carol, if I don't get a sticker today, I am going to be really, really disappointed. Because I had been working hard for six months to do everything that Carol taught me with every possible instrument that she could have supplied. I didn't know there were so many things. And Sarah laughs at me, like, how long do you take to clean your teeth? Ages, because I've got to do all of these, like, you know, flossing and brushes and small brushes and big brushes and... Oh, gosh, it's a ridiculous thing. But it's all worth it if I can get a sticker from Carol. (laughs) And you'll be pleased to know, the time before last, I got a sticker from Carol. I was like, yay, which one do you want? So I literally with a big sticker on it. I'm 54, for goodness sake. Um, The reason that I did that was because the time before, she looked at me and she said this, Mark, your destiny is in your own hands. She literally said that to me. <laughs> Scared the living daylights out of me. <laughs> I thought, it was a very empowering thing for her to say, actually, because I thought, right, I'm going to show you. <laughs> Don't know whether I was scared or not. What Carol is concerned about is oral hygiene. She's concerned about making sure that I keep my mouth in good working order. Otherwise, eventually, she says, all my teeth will fall out. And when the dentist said to me not long ago, you've got, you've got, you know, for, for, for your age, you've got, you're doing quite well. <laughs> I was thinking, 
imagine, I'd like to think that's a compliment, but I'm actually feeling like, now the dentist has mentioned my age, I suddenly feel like I've aged, if you like. But Carol's had an amazing effect on me, and I'm due to see her again shortly. Um, so I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> but oral hygiene is important, and I'm coming up the home straight now. It's really good to, to give yourself a checkup. In the context of life, where the wind and the waves, all sorts of things, external factors are going on, the checkup really is what are you saying? What's your self-talk, first off? What are you saying to yourself about your past, your present, and your future? What are you saying to yourself about your wife or your husband? What are you saying to yourself about your kids, if you're married and if you have kids? What are you saying about your workplace? What are you saying about your colleagues? What are you saying about your leaders? What are you saying about this church community? What are you saying about the world around you? If everything I've said has value, has, has, is relevant and true, then what you're saying matters. Yeah. Not because all of a sudden we're a slot machine and we can have a Ferrari just because we've said it. But because the, there's power of life and death in the tongue and what we say matters. Now, let me just finish by saying this. It's not about becoming unreal one of the problems with that ditch where you have what you say is you're not allowed to say what you haven't got, right? You can't, you can't acknowledge it. Which is a ridiculous concept when you study the Bible because Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, be removed, it will be thrown into the sea. He doesn't say, if you pretend the mountain's not there, it will go away. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, there is no mountain, there is no mountain, there is no mountain. There is no mountain. Oh, oh actually, it turns out there is. Oh, and I just walked right into it. It's just ridiculous, isn't it, right? To speak to it, you've kind of got to acknowledge it's there. So it's not about becoming unreal and breaking your nose on the mountain. Well, oh, actually, I have to practice that a bit more. Um, the other thing is, the, the mouth speaks out of what fills the heart. So if you're worried about what's coming out of your mouth, pay attention to what's going into your heart. Jesus said, and I love this in the NIV translation, it said, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. I love it. So if you do a checkup and you think, oh, what's coming out is not great, fill your heart. Fill your heart. Right. What's the best thing you could say? Sorry, I'm running over by a few minutes, but just give me. What's the most important thing you could say? I think it's this, what he's already said. The Greek for for confession is homologio, which means actually to say the same thing as. So one of the most powerful things we can say to ourselves and to those around us who need to hear something good is what he's already said. That doesn't mean now we go around quoting Bible verses, trampling on each other's suffering, with low empathy because we're not allowed to talk about the mountain that's ridiculous but what it does mean is we work out how to sensitively empathically in a priestly way stand between that problem and what he has already said and say it again and again and again that woman kept saying to herself I kept saying to myself it's going to be okay took months 
which doesn't sound long. Harriet, our daughter, seven years through an anxiety disorder, which meant she didn't access mainstream school. She had every Bible verse on fear plastered all over her bedroom. She kept saying to herself, one day, one day, it won't be this way. And it was a journey. It took her years. It took me months. But we kept saying to ourselves, we don't just live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. And the most powerful thing we can do is put his words into our mouths.